Live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. We try to worship God in spirit and truth. Great program. I'm excited to be here tonight with my guest, Brielle Decker Blanchard. Not her name when she was married to Warren Jeffs. She's going to reveal that later. Before we get into our two second part with our delightful guest, uh, Brielle, uh, welcome back, my dear. Thank you. Uh, I want to mention that we do these things as a means to open up discussion on anything, any topic, especially as it kind of orbits in and around religion. There's always got to be some sort of tie to faith or non-faith. And so uh, with Brielle having been FLDS, you know, and that, that plays a part into, of course, religion. So, but these things matter because they weigh in with some eternal significance to uh, the life of all human beings, I believe. We've had atheists on the show. They don't think any, any of it matters, but I think these things are important. And I think that uh, what people think, what Brielle shares with us, what we believe, what we do, and how we relate to other people's uh, pain and, and successes, that helps us grow as a, as a, as a human race. And we, be, we gain empathy and we, and we sympathize and, and we get opinions that might differ from hearing uh, different uh, guests. But over the past few years, we've had a, regu- a regular attendee in our HOTM audience on Tuesday nights, Mike Johnson, and he and his wife also attend our campus uh, Bible study. Well, last week he was here making us laugh as usual, teasing, teasing Steve Utley about ice hockey and such and having a good time. Uh, he was here supporting Brielle because he and his wife are, have very close ties to the FLDS uh, faith. And 24 hours later, in his sleep, Mike's in his 50s, he died. Unexpected. No one thought there was a problem. In the morning, he was uh, found dead. His funeral is this Saturday at 11 o'clock at Heritage Park here in Salt Lake City. So what does all this stuff mean? You know, Mike has sat here for years and and what does it mean in the case of Mike? What, what is it, how, how has it affected him in, in his eternities? What will it mean to you and me uh, when, without question, someday somebody is going to say, Sean McCraney is, has passed. His funeral services will be at this time on Saturday. I mean, what's it mean to you? What's it going to mean to Brielle, what she's gone through? What do we do with all this information? So what kind of life are you living? And I don't mean that like in a religious sense. Are you sinning? Not at all. Uh, I mean in terms of your faith, your love, your empathy, your walk, uh, where you spend your time, what you spend your life doing. And is it the thing that, that you believe you should be on? And I hope that, you know, if you aren't, questioning these things as a listener and viewer of the show, I'm failing as, as a host because it really is to get people to think, not to tell you what to think, but to get you to think and to start discarding some things and perhaps embracing others. So we dedicate part two tonight to our brother, Mike Johnson, who exited this world uh, for the next unexpectedly, but will forever be with us in our hearts and memories, and uh, as a man of great humility, great faith, and great, great love for others. Quickly, we have a great lineup of guests coming our way really quickly. Uh, Next week, March 19th, Lindsay Park Hansen. Lindsay Hansen Park. Uh, She's an activist. She's a blogger. She's an advocate. She calls herself an independent Mormon, director of Sunstone Magazine, extremely intelligent and uh, well-read. It has to be to be that uh, leading a magazine like that. And so she'll be with us for next week. On April 2nd, John Hijacek, uh, who from his own mouth says he is the most unique LDS person on the face of the earth, um, which I found intriguing. He's coming in, flying in from another state to be on the show. Then on April 9th, we have Dave Donaldson, and he runs a prison ministry with his wife. I learned about him from Christy Johnson who's a relative of Dave's. Dave and I had a conversation on the phone, and he's going to share insights 
into what he has experienced for years now in going into the prisons and what Jesus does in people's lives. It's going to be fascinating. And then on April 16th, my own, uh, own friend, um, Nicole Wade, is going to take us right into the heart, an amazing story of substance abuse and uh, victory over it. So stay tuned. After that, we're also talking with Denver Snuffer, who's willing to come on. We're working that out. And, uh, and a father, a Christian man, whose daughter was shot and killed by a high school uh, shoot-up. So we have some, uh, some good things coming, so stay with it. Brielle, my sister, so good to see you again. We left off, you told us about upbringing, Sandy, Utah, grandparents, grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, siblings, the academy, Warren Jeffs as your principal, um, the, the structure, how you sought to please Heavenly Father, you were obedient, but at the same time, a little bit rebellious, in the, not in the sense of the rules, but just in your thinking. Um, and then you, your dad, one day, 18 years old, says, let's go for a ride, takes you over. Jeffs gives the proposal and, or whatever it was. And in that, there is a, your opportunity to say yes. If you say yes, it's a thumbs up. If it's a no, you would receive some sort of punishment that is unknown. You went into a trance, you freaked out, stared for two weeks, and then you agreed to it. Is that correct? I, I was a little fuzzy on that last part. I, I did agree to it um, right before I went in, like kind of when I was in the trance. Okay. Because I didn't want to go the punishment route. Got it. But both of them are kind of a punishment. And that's why I used that scenario like it's standing on a cliff and they're not addressing the cliff in an appointed marriage. Got it. Makes sense. Yes, because both routes to jump are punishments. Right. So you found yourself after two weeks in a car. Uh, WJ is on the lamb. He's wanted. He's not on the top 10 yet, but you are headed to Texas. Is it West Texas? Is it El Dorado City? It's El yeah. So the YFC Ranch. Though that YFC, that YFC Ranch that they showed on in the news, although that big temple looking thing, that was your home. Yes, but it wasn't like that when I went there. It was trailers. I was one of the first people. Wow. When they were building it. So they didn't have any buildings built all the way yet. And I we were see. all in trailers and it was muddy and you'd walk and the mud would collect on the soles of your wow. feet because it's kind of moist there. Yeah. And so tell so us about different. you arrive in Texas. Warren went by another vehicle, he met you there. He met us on the route. On the route. Yeah. What did you think? You come to a, a place of, uh, I mean, it's like gold rush. You got a bunch of, uh, you just got a bunch of trailers and that's your life. You, you were put into a trailer with who? Well, I mean, what happened? They had a secret training before we were allowed to go there. And he told me some things that I really questioned a lot that were pretty significant. He said that he was told by God to take all of his birth children off of the Colorado City property because he was afraid of the law I was going to take him because now he's running from the law. And, um, and God told him that not one of the biological mothers were worthy to go with their children. Whoa. So some of the other sister wives could go and take care of him, but not any of the ones. And now I see that as different than I did then. Then I just questioned it. I was like, didn't God give him those children? <laughs> you know, yeah. 50 of them. Like, yeah, I don't know how that works. Yeah. But I couldn't say anything, of course. I just was like kind of stunned, like, really? You know, okay. And then after that training, then we were supposed to covenant that we would never tell anybody about that training. And I decided, but yet we could lie to the world that it even existed. So now I've just reversed that, you know, <laughs> I, yeah. I can, I can say whatever I need to and tell the truth, but yeah. And is there, just jumping ahead, is there any danger in you being open, revealing the secrets from the secret training? Well, they say I'll be punished in heaven forever, but I'm not really worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, 
so you said that when you were listening to the training, you were like, huh, the, the biological mothers can't come. Uh, and you said you, you were questioning it then, but now you understand why. why. Why was that the case? Well, if he's a, which he is a pedophile, been proven a pedophile, if he separates the children from their security, mm. he has more of an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so his goals weren't, I don't believe they were all for the children's safety. Mm-hmm. He wanted to separate them from their security. Wow. So let's just talk about that charge of pedophilia because he's in jail for that. Yes. I don't, I didn't, I didn't read up. I rarely read up on things so I can hear from you. What, what was he doing? Well, he had underage wives. Under 18? Under the age of what Texas would even allow, which was like 16 or something. Okay. Um, he had 12-year-olds. He had 12-year-old wives. Yeah, that he... He married, and it was really, really sad to see because I didn't see it at first. You know, like I, I knew they had underage, but they didn't. I didn't know they were going down to twelve. Mm. Um, they had usually in the past, if the child w- was wild, like struggling and dating in any way, then they would marry him at sixteen. Mm. But it was, and that's what happened with Elisa Wall, who was in the court trial and stuff Mm. when he was first caught which wasn't okay and but my father protected me till I was more 18 Mm -hmm. as as long as he could but I I had a best friend that was married at 16 Wow! and it was just getting younger and younger but it got to where it was 12 and I was um, in Texas when he introduced me Mm -hmm. it wasn't the first time I went there to some 12 year olds and um it was really, you know, I started to wake up to more and more as I went along. And I knew one of them was still wetting the bed, you know, and, you know, having naps during the day and, you know, stuff like that. And it was just really sad oh. to see that because he was saying that he needed to marry him young because, um, for one thing, Joseph Smith, he claimed had under young brides. And he... Um, he felt like that it would take him away from that uh, desire to date and just give him somebody that they could date. Mm-hmm. Magnanimous of him, wasn't it? Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Warren. <laughs> what a good guy. Well, I had an uncle who I, um, I want to briefly cover a little bit because he was convincing the fathers to give up their daughters really young, like 12, with like not only the scriptures and things that he was using he they didn't know like he was using their families against him and so like he could say if you give me your daughter i'll give you you know then i'll give you my daughter or somebody's daughter and if you don't then you can like lose your all of your daughters like Mm. because it's a point of marriage and if the wives choose to not go with you out into the world, out outside of the religion, then all of the children, will, he'll have to go through court and all of that to figure out if he ever even gets to protect any of his children. Wow. And even the one that, and then, then there was the wonderment in their minds at first if they were, if he was really going to do anything with them or just date, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I have an uncle in prison for life too in texas wow because of this trading stuff trading trading of young girls and i'm glad i'm proud of texas for doing what they did because i feel like that they um helped them wake up you know like this is serious this is not something that you can mess with Mm -hmm. and um i i don't think that you know i think it took a lot of courage to do that especially seeing in court what actually happened and the grips that were on the fathers but still, they had to say it, it just wasn't okay. Wow. And they needed to do something different. They, needed, they should have fought. Yeah. Do you think, uh, and it's just conjecture, that it would have happened here in Utah, that he would have been indicted on the same thing and, and been sentenced to uh, life without a possibility of parole for the same action? 
Um, in Utah, I don't know. I don't know what Utah would do. I know in the past they wouldn't do anything. Maybe recently, maybe they're more stringent, but it's just really interesting that it took that indictment to come from a state like Texas. Texas is known to be really strict. Yeah, yeah. So. Good for them. Yeah, it, they did a lot of good, mm -hmm. I feel like, and it did wake up people more. Like, we got to step back, you know. Last week, you mentioned Stockholm Syndrome, and, and that's kind of the focus of your deal is to help yeah. break that. Is that, is it your belief that the women who are, the mothers who are of age and older who are participating in this are, are under the influence and they're, they're, they have that syndrome? They do. Mm -hmm. They do. Because Stockholm Syndrome, the definition of it, when you look it up on Wikipedia, is basically like um, relationships that cause somebody to defend themselves or I can't quote it, but mm -hmm. it's something about the relationships that cause them to compromise so that they can be protected mm. and things when they're like from their perpetrator. So they start to protect their perpetrator and start to understand and relate to their perpetrator. Mm. So it's a way of self-preservation. Self-preservation. I see. Do you believe that was the case, perhaps, of your mom? I do. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of them relate to Warren and Jess and to polygamy and to all of these topics mm -hmm. because they've been raised under it, for one thing, and it's like a generational tradition, and it's creates it's like a handicapped child. Mm -hmm. Like when the brain develops, they actually teach you in the foster care training that I went to in southern Utah, that the brain, when it's developing as a child, has many more connections than the internet does. Mm. And at first, they're just trying to figure out what's important. And then after a while, then the ones that are important become stronger, and mm. they start to prune off the ones that they don't use. Mm. So the whole brain is has different pathways. Mm. And they're, like I talked about last time, the twist mm -hmm. of... Warren Jeffs claiming he can do no wrong, but the children, they, they're constantly making adjustments, mm. so their brain is completely reversed. Mm. And to come out here in the world and try to sort that out, mm -hmm. some people, you know, like one of the steps is submission, you know. They start to date and they just want to submit to everything and they want to, you know, they have to come quite a ways. Some things aren't harmful, but mm -hmm. sometimes not dreaming or not, you know, there's so many things, mm. so many stages that, yeah. In your experience then, did you notice or know of many uh, females who converted in as adults or as uh, late teens or, or in their 20s, or, or, or they all start? There's very few that convert in. Mm. And now they don't take converts because they're worried of spies, mm. worried about spies, but um they're almost they actually taught that their children were their converts wow wow and to trap in their children man yeah they're to raise them like calves in the stall that sounds like a quote it is a quote wow. out of their scriptures yeah wow that is just frightening Right. Uh, coming out, uh, and we'll get to your escape and everything else, but did you find that your mind with all those uh, ingrained things that were getting twisted around? And did you have trouble assimilating into this modern culture and, and, and speaking? For instance, I think you did Doris Hansen's show uh, fairly I've been early. on Lindsay Hansen Parks, too. Oh, okay. And so have you found yourself getting better and better and, and being able to overcome those, those? Yes. So when I first started to speak, it would be two weeks of like afterwards of just agony, like trying to process, did I say everything right? Did I do everything right? Did I, did I you know? And now it's like an hour maybe. Mm -hmm. It's just way progressed. Mm -hmm. I noticed that because when I asked you, did you watch the show? You went, yeah. <laughs> what you, th you think? Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> so I think you've become very acclimated. <laughs> That's awesome. I've had people tell me my story is like a horror story before, mm -hmm. and then after it's too good to be true. Mm. And um, I take that as, you know, kind of a compliment because it means that my story is 
is, because I'm used to it, so I'm immune to it, but other people see it as like really contrasting. Yeah, wow. Uh, so let's jump into a subject that I have to do it because this is what uh, males who hear about polygamy want to know. Okay. All right. <laughs> so I don't get it because in my mind, it's just all about, you know, sex, right? And in my mind, if I was of that group, it wouldn't be the underage ones, but I would be trying to get more wives because you have more partners every night. How open is that subject? Are you ladies talking about it behind the doors? And I don't think you, it didn't consummate with you and Warren, is that correct? Right. Right. So how, how much is it about in the end? The guy's a pedophile, but how about with others who are practicing? Um, it's taught. Like they had a book that was called The Enlightened Truth that Warren just taught. Hmm. And he taught everybody how they could be in the church. And if they didn't follow those rules, they would have punishments or be, even be excommunicated hmm. and lose their family and everything that went along with the church. So one of the highly required rules was submission. And so they couldn't be talking about sex and their husbands and all that kind of stuff. Behind. They couldn't talk about that. They, they had rules against that. I see. Yeah. They, they so all the men's, explain. all the alpha males out there who are thinking it's like, it's not like, like we think. It's, there's a whole book of rules. There's a whole ton of things that, that to even make it somewhat livable. You should be in prison just for that. <laughs> <laughs> just for that. Yeah, there's a whole book of like, you can't talk about it. Even the men aren't always happy. I mean, they, they have responsibilities like so many children and so many wives. And, you know, this wife is completely different than this one, but they don't get along and, you know, they're constantly following the rules, but still slipping a little bit here and, you know, slipping a little bit there. And, you know, they have so much responsibility and they get the first blame mm. if something goes really wrong. Mm. So did you, uh, were you wondering, well, you tell the story, you get to the place, then what, what happens and, and how long are you there and what's going on in your mind? You just tell the story. So one of the things that was really unique to me when I first got there was one of his daughters had braces. And we weren't supposed to be like, we were supposed to commit to live here forever, you know, like, and just, you know, we're, we aren't going to the doctor unless we have permission. Like we had more rules than we even had in Colorado City. They had doctors and stuff there and only elite people could be here on this land. Mm. Even they had cult doctors in Colorado City at the time. Eventually they would get called. Some of them would get called to Texas, but at this time there wasn't any. And she was like talking about her braces and she's like, what should I do? Who should I get to take off my braces? And one of the ladies piped up and said, oh, such a privilege. Warren Jess can take off your braces. <laughs> you should just, you know, he's inspired by God. He's the best person that I ever could. I'm like, I would never let him take off my braces. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, what a memory that would be. <laughs> Come here, honey. <laughs> So did he remove them? I don't know. I, I don't ever, I never heard what happened, but I just remember thinking, I don't want to know about that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that sounds awful. And th it's there was- horrifying. The whole thing is a, is yeah. a nightmare. Yeah. So living there, I, he put me straight to work. Like so busy because he could tell that I was kind of, he would ask me straight out, like, I'm sorry I sent you home on the first night because I was in shock. And I didn't even, I was like, that's what I wanted. You know? I didn't even retaliate or anything. Just like when you asked me about my yeah. thing, I was just like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> I didn't even care. Yeah. <laughs> and he was kind of offended at that. So he kept bringing it up and kept bringing it up. And I didn't even catch on until like months later that it was like a punishment to send me home. on the. That's why he kept bringing it up. I was like, oh, you know, I don't care. That's fine. That's fine. You know, whatever. <laughs> And um, so he had, um, he, didn't, he wasn't there all the time because he was running from the law. Mm. And so he'd just show up and then he'd leave and he'd always have a different car and he'd have a different thing. He actually told us 
that he was changing his clothes and stuff like they caught him, you know, how he was changing everything. And he'd say the heavens were crying because he had to dress down like people out in the world so that he wouldn't get caught. And it was a requirement from heaven that he didn't get caught. And, mm. and you know, so he, he kind of reversed everything. So much what right became, right. you know. And he wrong, was caught with wigs right. and sunglasses and money and yes, all kinds of costumes or outfits. Yeah, mm. yeah, and he'd change his vehicles a lot. Like he would just borrow a car, you know, like go on a drive. You know, like when you go to a dealer and ask for a car, he would take it, you know. Wow. And he'd just trade the cars out. He wouldn't even always buy them, but sometimes he did. Um. So was he affectionate toward you? No, he was very demanding and very correction, like all the time. He didn't like me very well before. Mm. So, um, like when I first got to Texas, one of the first things he said to me was, "Your dresses all have V's." Like they had my dress. We wore dresses, and we had the long braids, like they had in Texas when the when the raid happened. But my dresses were old fashioned. He had updated the code. Mm. And I didn't know it because he hadn't given a training on it yet. Mm. And he says, all of your dresses have points and like on the collar or whatever. And he says, I want you to change that. And I want you to just go through all of your stuff and find something that doesn't have those. Mm. And I'm like, I don't know if I have anything like that, but I'll check. And I didn't have anything mm. that didn't have something like that on it. So I, um, I actually had some of his ladies that donated like three dresses to me and that's all I had wow. that were up to the standard that he required and so that was a big correction for me right off the bat mm. it wasn't that you look nice or anything it mm. was just an immediate correction and almost everything he did was correction with mm. me mm. and I think that was part of his control like he he didn't like me and he could sense something was different about me. And so he was trying to enforce his his authority. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't like it at all. Mm -hmm. Like I, I didn't like him very well anyway. Mm -hmm. I liked the sister wives, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the sister wives because they were like a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. It's just having a lot of friends when you don't put a man in the picture. <laughs> it's like, oh, I yeah. have a ton of friends, you know. <laughs> this is great. You guys can have him. I don't care. You know? <laughs> That's kind of how I looked at it. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, did you see? Did you ever see him act affectionately toward other sister wives? Yeah, he would in public. In public, he would. Yeah, mostly with his whole family, mm -hmm. not like all the time in church or anything, but with his family. Yeah, he was nice to certain ones a lot. Mm -hmm. And did that bother the others? Do you know some know? people? Yeah. Me? But not you. You were glad. No, I, I didn't care. I would just, I would sneak away and go and do my chores. So he, I would go and study. Like, mm. I wanted to please God. That's why I went into the relationship anyway. It's because I really wanted to please God. So I would go listen to all of his stuff over and over. The elite trainings, I'd sneak away and go listen and listen to things that he taught in Rule and Jeff's house, his father's house. Mm. You know, tons of things that, and so every time he caught me, I'd be in the closet. Wow. And he would sit there and say, there you are, you know. He, he wasn't happy about it. And um, other people would stand around, like, after the meals and stuff, when he, the ones that he came to. His wives would just stand around and um, just wait for him to notice them or give them a directive or something. I would sneak away. Wow. But he would watch me. After a little while, he'd sit there and watch me walk out the door. And I would just be like, I got to go to my chores. Sorry, <laughs> see? <You> know, like, <laughs> but he, he was keeping an eye on me. I, I knew he was because I was drastically different than most of them. What were your chores? Well, he gave, when I first went to Texas, he, he used to have like, the girls would do like cooking all day or gardening all day, cleaning all day, teaching school all day, watching preschoolers all day or sewing all day. But with me, when I first got there, because I was sneaking off and listening to trainings, mm -hmm. and he didn't want me to, then he had me every single hour on another project. 
Wow. Running to the garden, running to the sewing room, running. You know, he had me on a different project, so I was so exhausted and tired. But I still found time to listen to trainings. Like they'd be, he'd tell them we're going to move. Like when they first got their first building, mm -hmm. we're going to move from the trailer over to the house. And I'm like, okay, so the schedule's different today. I'm over there listening to trainings. Like the house that he's not at, I'm listening to trainings. Wow. I still found time to do what I felt like I needed to do to be able to qualify at the standard that he was looking for. I couldn't figure out, like he would say things like, he'd correct people, like he had men on the, on the elite land that he would send away and lose their whole religion, their whole family and everything over breaking a commandment. Mm. And I was like, um, Brigham Young taught a lot of things in the general discourses that we aren't doing. And all of us are breaking a commandment, so how does this work? Oh. <laughs> you know, so I was really frustrated with these updated, real strong rules uh. that people were being punished for. I couldn't figure out why he was doing that. But I didn't dare just confront him at first. I was just trying to find out when he taught something that linked up. Mm. And I actually had this whole map of things that um would quote like his quotes because i had to listen to his interpretations of everything in order to qualify you know so i had this whole links of all these things that would qualify me clear up to where i could have spirit children and everything because he he would give quotes of how you would succeed and i just put them together i went to then one day he, well one of the times he sent me back to because i was studying so much and stuff he sent me back to um, the Dream Center now, the house in Colorado City with some of the ladies that he hadn't sent away yet, the mothers that didn't have their children and stuff. And so I stayed there for about four months, and then he sent me back to Texas, and then he sent me to Vegas, this house, a house in hiding in Vegas. He wouldn't let us mingle with like my, my family, my biological family, and people that weren't considered elite. But he created this middle ground where you could repent and prepare to be among the elite people that weren't trying. Like they tried for a while and then stopped. Mm. So he created this middle ground, what he called houses in hiding. Mm. He sent me to Vegas and I stayed there for a while. And I started confronting him on a lot of these ideas. Like I'm like, I don't want to be corrected for breaking the commandment. And you can do that at any moment. So what's the, what's the quote? I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> And I confronted him on why is there no love in this? Like, why is there just so much correction and correction and correction? And it doesn't make any sense why there's not persuasion through love when that's one of the main trainings. And, you know, I just was raised different than what he was now teaching. And so I was like, I don't get it. So I, I confronted him on some things and he would call me up directly and just like, just confront like say like when i told him about love he called me up directly and said you don't get to demand love you have to earn it and i was like well okay i'll try that for a while and if you never give it to me that means you're not getting it <laughs> and that's what i told him and you so kind of outsmarted him yeah you kind of confronted him <laughs> I, I put together his trainings and stuff where he wanted me to just pray he kept telling everybody just pray and god will give you the answers just pray this certain way and God will give you the answers. But he can correct you at any moment while you're at risk all the time. I was like, I'm not doing that route. I don't care about that route. I'm going to go. I actually told him when I went to the house in hiding that I was not going to pray to ensure I didn't go back before I was ready. <laughs> he sent me there as a punishment. And I was like, great. I'll just stay here. So uh, you're praying and God will give you the answers. I just want to point out to our audience before. A week before you came on last week, we did a show in preparation for this. And uh, I just want to point out, you know, you get someone saying, you pray, God will give you the answers, and you don't come up with the answers I want. Keep praying till God gives you the answers, right? And it's just a con game. It's a religious con game. So uh, I just want to point out, she's talking about from one of the most cultish groups in America that's what they were teaching her. But, you know, there's another religion in this state that does the same thing. And if you go to that religion and say, well, I prayed and God didn't give me that answer. Well, you have some sin in your life. Pray harder, you know. And I'm just, I just want to show you the overlap between these two. One question for you, Brielle. The, uh, 
your objective, it seems like, at least in the early years of being within that compound, was you wanted to please God. You were raised in this, too. Right. So, and then most of the women were raised in this. So, do you believe that the women who are involved in it now and the people who were involved in it when you were there, that they all pretty much are in it, having been raised that way, to please God? Yeah, I do think that most of them really believe that that's what they're supposed to do, but the, the trainings are so, like, they trap you in. They're so, uh, what is it, like, prison-like, you know, in mm -hmm. mentally, mm -hmm. that they aren't supposed to question, they aren't supposed to ask, they're just supposed to put it on the shelf. There's, you know, there's so many things that trap them in that they can't even test anything else out. Right. They're not even supposed to look the other direction. So, so would you yeah. find parallels to that experience with, with like a, a fundamentalist Muslim who has been said, you read the Quran, you, you listen to Muhammad? I've never studied Muslim, but I do know that there's extremists in every group. Right. It's, I'm sure you could make up rules anywhere mm -hmm. if you weren't just reading the truth, you know, if you weren't. That's one thing Warren Jeffs really didn't like me studying. Because he said, you don't want to memorize religion. He didn't want me to have the truth to back up mm -hmm. what anything. Yeah, you could trap him if you could memorize it. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like memorizing the law books. You got to memorize You got to win. That's yeah. awesome. So in the end, when I figured out, because when I went to Vegas and I realized that he wasn't living as he was teaching, then I started to wake up and I couldn't even say anything to anybody because I didn't have any support where I was. I had a caretaker, a man that would watch us all the time and, you know, basically get our food for us and have his wife there, you know, and somebody was always in the house. How long had sure. you been with, how long have you been married to him when this light went on? It was like, it was probably like two years. Mm-hmm. When I started to realize that, because I got enough interaction with him to realize that he wasn't doing what he was even requiring me to do. And I was like, okay, so how does this work? And then I started to question everything and I was just like, went silent. So I'd been really vocal. I was in the house telling everybody, I'm not praying to ensure I don't go back to the elite because if he sends me back there, I want you to know that I'm not supposed to be there. <laughs> I was so vocal. <laughs> You're awesome, man. That's and then, hilarious. And then all of a sudden I'm totally silent. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't tell anybody that he doesn't live how he's supposed to live. Mm -hmm. And that we can't even make it to God. And I've studied all this stuff for two years and I am just like screwed. At this point in my time, I, I was just like, I can't even listen to any of this stuff anymore. Wow. So, but I didn't go back until he got caught. Got it. No, wait a minute. You didn't go back. Okay. To Texas got until it. he got caught okay. by the law. And he was furious because we didn't consummate the marriage. Oh. And so I don't know every reason. There was a few other reasons because I had been rebellious and stuff. And he figured I had staged it, mm. which was kind of true. But at the same time, I, I could only go so far without getting worse and worse punishment. So I ran out of trainings to listen to. I ran out of things to confront him on. You know, I was running out of things after two years, you know, like it was about, it was about at least a year and a half staying in these houses and hiding, maybe two years just in the houses and hiding. In Vegas. Well, it wasn't only in Vegas. It was all over. Oh, like he okay. transported me to like tons of houses after that. And I, and I just stayed away until he got caught. But I tried, I was running out of reasons why I was staying away. Mm. And then he got caught, which was a blessing for me because then I could start to research mm ways to escape before we go to that uh when you were uh realizing who he was do you recollect having what how did that affect your thoughts about god what had that recollect uh, affect your thoughts about any of your faith i believed in god still and i still do mm -hmm. but i didn't know him got it anymore mm -hmm. i didn't understand how he really was mm -hmm. but i i've been I've been studying now mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. I when the Dream Center came on, like it was I've had a lot of miracles in my life. Mm. So I can't ever say that God doesn't exist because I've had too many things that I couldn't have controlled mm -hmm. that actually happened. Mm -hmm. Like my escape and um the Dream Center and a lot of things. And the Dream Center is Christian, so I'm just like basic Christian now. Mm -hmm. 
So in uh, just in a summary statement, do you have sort of an assessment of what God is now? And then does Jesus fit into that model at all? Yeah, I've been studying, actually with Doris Hansen, but um, she's because she came from the Kingston group, so she has like a whole compiled thing of the differences. Mm-hmm. And God, to me, is like the only he he's the only one with the power that can you know do everything nobody's going to be like god (laughs) awesome so great yeah and the truth is how we how so all that studying i did even though it wasn't all the right studying um because we didn't we did have the bible but it wasn't highly looked upon it helped me mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. even Warren Jeff's interpretations, because when I was going through like the next phase mm-hmm. and fighting for survival, I had to have Warren Jeff's interpretations in order to defend myself. I see. So that helped me. And then now I study the Bible, which is more truth. Wow. Yeah. So you are back in Texas. Warren, what, how, what, what was your heart when he got arrested? Yes. Yeah, I was like, everybody's crying, everybody's like freaking out, and I'm just like, oh, okay, you know, like I can research. You're like wiping your fake tears. (laughs) 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 I I don't cry very much anyway, you know, because I my eyes burn. Oh, I've been harassed pretty bad, so I'm kind of numbed out. So you don't cry. Not very often. But you certainly weren't going to cry when at that. No, I I was like. I, they called us, they told us that we'd be moving again, and that was my dread. You know, I'm like, oh, we're moving again? Because he had all of our names written down so he could remember us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so then what? You start, you embark on your plan to escape. Yeah, I, well, I, I went back. I first was trying to decide if I should escape immediately or if I should find a cause. You know, if I'm here, once I leave, I'm gone. I, I'm never going to be able to do anything you know, to help the FLES specifically very well. So I'm like, I'm just going to stay in here and figure out if there's a place for me. Mm. But that was shortly cut off because I had been too rebellious for too long and people knew it and so there wasn't a place for me in there. They started to harass me, like follow me and harass me pretty bad. And that Is went on for three years. Started out with sister wives, and then it went into caretakers, and it was like three years, solid years of just debates, mm. back and forth. And I'll write about that in my book because it needs the sequencing mm-hmm. really clearly. Um, and then they, in the end, they sent me back to Colorado City, and I was the first one of Warren's family to go back to Colorado City after he had taken them all away. Mm. Um, I, I, I got there and saw my family. They're all excited to see me. I was sunburnt. I had, I was really thin. I had, you know, I was just like so hurt, you know, like I had been pretty much tortured. They, Dream Center, you know, people tell me, you weren't harassed, you were tortured. <laughs> so I, psychologically mm-hmm. so I went back and um, I just felt the relief being with my family I didn't know they had drugged me with cult doctors mm. they had done all kinds of things that by the time I got back to my family I was like this reminds me of my past it's it seems safe so I started to sort out what I was going to do, if I was going to run all the way out or if I was just going to stay with my family forever, what Warren Jess was going to do. You know, I didn't know what was going to be required. And during this process, I started to study things in my father's household to figure out why, you know, all the answers that I didn't understand when I was being harassed. Because a lot of it had to do with my childhood mm. and what we talked about last time, you know, the victim stuff and different things. I had to f- sort it all out in their terms. I didn't have to, but I just kind of did that naturally. Mm-hmm. I remember being really annoyed by how much of it was not changed. They had been abandoned for five years. Mm-hmm. They didn't have very much culture shock, or very much difference in their household. 
And it was really hard for me to sit there and go, I've been harassed for five years over something that's still happening and I wasn't even around. <laughs> you know, like, this is just insane. So I, um, I, at first I was really kind of harsh to the children and stuff in my father's house, the grandchildren. There was nine children living with him by the time I came back of my nieces and nephews. I was kind of harsh because I was like, you don't want to go through what I did. <laughs> you want to do something different. <laughs> you need to, you know, so I was trying to help them. Then I had to step back after a little bit. I was like, hey, you know, they taught us. One of the things that weren't just taught and specified was do not teach the people the updated trainings until they're ready. Mm. So I'm like, okay, I can just have birthday parties again. I can have all the parties. I don't even need to set the example because... <laughs> I don't want to teach them before they're ready. <laughs> so I just decided I made a conscious Took choice. Took that right off the table. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this is not the route I'm going. I'm just going to heal. I'm yeah. just going to, I'm not going to worry about it. Why should I have to worry about it? Sure. And so I ended up deciding that I would, and they sent me back there to turn in my father. They said, you need to go back to Short Creek. And there's a scripture in the Doctrine and Covenants that says if you don't understand the scriptures by the time you're eight years old, which was the time frame when I was, you know, if you don't understand by the time you're eight years old, the sin goes on the head of the parent. Mm. And they wanted me to to write something that would cause my father to have to take the blame. And I thought about it, and I thought, well, you know what? If I write something right now, um, I'm going to write about the people who did it to me, and I'm not going to write about my father. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to write about the people who did it to me because I want them out of their positions so they won't continue to harass children and stuff. Like, this is insane. So I um, decided if I did it immediately, though, then I would be followed and may not live through it because mm. I wouldn't have the support I needed. So the bishops and stuff in Short Creek had gotten word that I was on drugs and that my father needed to pay for my medicine and I didn't need to go to a psychiatrist because then I wouldn't need the medicine. <laughs> you know, that wasn't the reason. But they said that they he needed to pay $500 a month for my medicine and because they didn't want me going to a psychiatrist and didn't explain why. Um, they So they were getting word that I was crazy my father's family and so so I still didn't have the support that I needed but it was better I thought well if I turn him in immediately I might not live through it so I'm going to stay here until as long as I can before they make me do something and then I'm going to turn in the people who did it to me mm. and then they'll have to retrain people to do this to the children mm. and so I stayed for two years just helping my father's house helping out and then Warren just demanded that I tell him why I wasn't going back to the elite and why I wasn't trying, why I wasn't doing anything they asked. So I wrote about what happened to me mm. during those years that they were hushing me up and telling me that I couldn't tell him. Mm -hmm. And I knew how to write it by now. They had taught me how to write it so that I could get my father in trouble. So I wrote it the way they told me to. And within one week, there was a whole bunch of corrections. <laughs> in church and I didn't even know all of them mm. some of the ladies that did it to me showed up in the creek and with their families and you know what does that it was mean? insane so it worked oh, I, <laughs> but I didn't lie about it like I, I didn't lie about what they did to me so they would I didn't want to be in that position right so I they started to come to the creek the, it's an older compound but they started to bring people that were I see. were trapping me in there they ended up sending me over to my brother's house instead of my father's house. And my brother was being targeted. I don't know all the things that were going on because it was so intense. Um, they took me off my drugs. They did that a few times during the years. They would just put me on it and then just take me off and put me on it and just oh, take me boy. off. And It was, you know, I didn't even understand. I didn't More have things. internet, so I couldn't look up my symptoms. I didn't, I didn't even know, you know, these are doctors. And I didn't know how harmful that was. Um, so I'm in this house with my brother and they're coming in in the night dressed in black. People are, and I don't know who they are because they only come in during the dark because they don't want me tattling on them. <laughs> they don't want to be corrected. You're a letter writer. <laughs> so, um, my brother, um, was panicking because he had a family that was living in that house too. His oldest child is named 
Lynette after me. I was going to tell him my name was Lynette Warner. Oh. That was your name when you were with... Yeah, all through the story. Lynette Warner. Lynette Warner was my name. Um, My brother um, was panicking because he had a family to take care of. And... When he when he got, when we got in trouble, it was he was like twelve, you know, he was judged as an adult, and it wasn't fair. But it wasn't my father's fault either. But they always try to blame the father. I I blame it on my mother because of neglect. So, um, I couldn't blame her though. That wasn't in the books, so mm. I couldn't get to my mother, and say, hey, you know, like, how do I pinpoint that even in the law out here it's not that easy mm. we have to have a lot of people to testify you know and all these different things and most of them are still in there so you know i've talked to attorneys and things and so you know we're still you know trying to make sure these things don't happen but um so the men in black were coming in and doing what they were checking on me like every single hour i was up in the night all night long for two weeks and I couldn't sleep and I went to Flagstaff one during one of the days my brother had to go to on a business trip so he took me with his whole family because he didn't want to leave me home we went to Flagstaff Arizona and I asked to talk to the police and the police came and talked to my brother first and for some reason he had I, I believe I don't know for sure I think he had my medical records mm. um because of the cult doctors. I had not signed anything to give him those records, but I believe he had them because when the police came in to me, they said, we've already talked to your brother and because of your mental state, you have to go back. We've already signed a paper. Wow. And I was like, this is insane. So I didn't have a say. So I had to go back. And when I did escape, I went to organizations that could understand the tricks that they were playing. Mm. They're like peer support specialists that have some knowledge of going through something similar. Mm. And... Um, so when I escaped, I, they, they actually locked me up in a room. It was only for one day because they put two screws in the window and then my brother went to work and I heard his truck leave and it was broad daylight. And I thought this is my last opportunity because as soon as I start to play with those, uh, screws, then he's going to put screws all out the window and I'm, I'm trapped. But he went to work, and I thought, this is my last opportunity. So I grabbed some scissors. I just wasn't going to give up. I didn't think I'd make it out. I just wasn't going to give up. So I, I grabbed some scissors. I found some scissors in there, and I unscrewed one side. And I couldn't get the other side unscrewed, but it was only in halfway because it was so tight. So I started pounding on it. And it, uh, his wife came in and took everything I was using. And, you know, she's like, you're really going to do this? I'm like, yeah. And I, you know, I didn't say anything to her, but she just kept giving me the look. She'd go outside and look in the window like, really? You know, and I'm like, yeah, this is really what I'm doing. And so I just found new things that she'd, and I'd just keep pounding until it broke off. And I heard her, they told me to lay down and read and just read all day. I heard her gasp because she heard me stop pounding. And she didn't know I had already gotten another, a screw undone. Mm. So she thought I immediately laid down and started reading when I exited the window and just left. I couldn't open any drawers. I couldn't take my ID or anything with me because that would flag her that I was leaving. And I just took side roads. There had been people in the community that had seen me and called on me and told, told them that I, they saw me on the road and stuff in the past because I had tried many. I had tried up to like 10 major times mm. to escape. And... Um, I took through the creek. That's why it's called Short Creek. You know, Colorado City, they have a mm -hmm. creek through there. And I went down and ran through there. And when I was going to a specific family that um, I had recently left, and I knew where they lived, and I knew um, that their whole family had left together. Mm. And they would be nice to me. I figured they'd be nice to me. Right before I got to their house, I ran through a yard of an, another girl. A, a lady who was meditating out in her yard and she said can I help you and I said and she was dressed different than FLES I didn't know her and I said yeah and so I told her what I was doing I was running up to the other house next door she drove me up there the family I was going to had too recently left and they didn't know the number to any organizations mm. she's the one that knew who to call wow. 
and when I got to their house and stuff, I'm like, she's like, should I go in with you? And I'm like, yeah, that, what, what could it hurt? You know, I didn't realize that it was going to turn out that she was the one that I needed wow. to make that connection out of the town before the end of the day. Mm. So the next, so they called some organizations and then I was out of the town. The family I went to drove me halfway. They didn't want me to go. They're like, we can protect you. You just stay with us. And I'm like, no, this isn't going to work. Because um, I'd been to Flagstaff. I'd seen some pretty horrific things. So I'm like, we got to get out of here. I'm just fleeing. So they decided they would drive me halfway. And the organization picked me up, brought me to their house. I'd never met her. Mm. Um, what organization was it? It was called Hope Organization at the time. But now it's Sound Choices Coalition. It's my adoptive mom. Sound Choices Coalition. Yes. They met you halfway. Yep. Wow. And put let me in their house um, that night. And the next morning, the police officers went door to door with a picture of me. I was terrified of calling the police because of my experience that I'd had in Flagstaff. Mm. So I wouldn't let anybody call the police. Mm. But they were required to. Mm. Um, so when they tracked us, because somebody had a camera on that lady's door, they kind of got threatened and... They tracked the, to the horror organization, and were, I, one police officer demanded my mom's phone number. Mm. They wanted to talk to me specifically. Um, I didn't want to talk to anybody. And my mom called up the supervisor of that police officer in St. George, and he got fired. Wow. He was totally out of his jurisdiction, mm. tracking me down. Good. Yeah, and so I ended up not staying at my mom's for very long. I went to Salt Lake, and then I ended up in the hospital because somebody went and got my ID and lied to me and stuff, and it was hard for me. And so I ended up in the hospital, and then I went to a domestic violence shelter, another one, and um, my case manager there, I showed her, like, my mom's calling me in the hospital. My biological mother is calling me in the hospital. And somebody's, you know, giving out information and she's like, drop all the organizations that are helping you and pick up these other ones. And they're holding out help and Shield and Refuge. And that's how I met Doris for the first time. And Doris's organization is the one that sent me to Tennessee. They found a family in Tennessee that was taking me in. Fantastic. And I went to Tennessee for two years, changed my name legally, got because I didn't want to go into a relapse and end up. Um, back in the cult. Mm -hmm. So I got legally adopted and changed my social. Mm. And I had help and stuff. And it was it was hard, you know, living in Tennessee and stuff. I, I couldn't handle the pressure of a family watching me all the time. Mm -hmm. So I ended up in a domestic violence shelter just because of that. Because mm -hmm. they have so many cases, they weren't focused on me. Mm -hmm. And I had called the domestic violence shelter before I went there and asked if they would take me in if I needed it. And they said yes. So they did. And they were really good to me. Like, I was there for two years, and then I had all that figured out, my name changed and stuff, and then I came back to Utah mm. to help other people. Wow. And that's when I went and did. So when I came back to Utah, I um, started to date for the first time. I had some experiences there. And then I went into uh, – I went and stayed with a friend that um, – so the lady that adopted me is here in Utah. Hmm. So she was, I picked her up after, I dropped all the organizations helping me, went to Tennessee, holding out help convinced me to talk to one of them, which is my mom's organization. And she answered every day when I called her, even when I was sick and everything. Hmm. She really understood me pretty well. Mm -hmm. So eventually she was the one that I asked to adopt me. Hmm. And she, her and her husband agreed to, gave me a second chance wow. so that I could go through all the paperwork. And what's her name? Kristen Decker. Um, I didn't know at the time that I needed her last name, but I was like, I want a last name that's real. Mm. So I asked her, and then when we went through all the paperwork, we figured out that that I needed to be legally adopted in order to complete it all, to get my social and stuff. Mm. So when I went back to Utah and I went to a friend's house, um, I had a relapse because of the boyfriend, the first boyfriend that I was dating. Uh, he turned out to be a player, which mm. was really hard Aren't on me. Aren't they all? Yeah. <laughs> not all, but <laughs> not my husband now. But <laughs> not Steve. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But anyway. But every girl's got to go through a one player at least, right? But anyway, I ended up in the hospital, and my mom didn't know because I walked away from the house, and the police picked me up because I was going catatonic and brought me to the hospital, and they didn't tell anybody, so my mom didn't know where I was for three days, my doctor mom. And so she had to choose between my old name and my new name, putting it on the flyer. Mm. And she chose my new name. Mm. And um, they figured out I was in the hospital after a while, but um, when I got out, I was like, everybody knows my new name. It's not a secret anymore. And I knew about the houses in the creek, and the land there is different. It's the UEP. Mm. Um, the land is a lot different there because Warren just got up and told everybody that it, I think I told you that last mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. So I decided I was going to go and get his house. And so we went and did that and wow. was granted it like from the UEP. They all knew I was one of his wives, even though it's not legal. They all knew because right. there are people from that community. And so they gave me that opportunity. I had, I had, a, I had a lot of people like I had an anonymous, a specific anonymous person that stepped up during one of the meetings and donated like four houses to the cause to ensure that I would get the opportunity, wow. you know? And then, um, so when we went through the process, it was Thanksgiving day, they gave me the keys and I had till March 15th to find a buyer. And I didn't know what an appraisal was. Mm. So it was a huge, you know, like miracle in the Dream Center. I did tours and I did media. Mm. And that's what, brought the brought the dream center to realize that I was there and there was people in the community that did the tours with me and word got to Phoenix mm. where the dream center in Phoenix is and then we got a call and you know like we had a meeting and it was pretty far into the process it was a few months after March 15th mm -hmm. but I had extended it like twice I wasn't giving up mm. and they came in and now they've been they've been there for